the third servant acted out of fear. fear. And that is the whole point of this parable. Um, if you act out of fear, then your nature is locked in the old, right? If you're acting and living out of possibility, then you are reflecting a transformed or redeemed nature. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to help you learn how to study the Bible for yourself by showing you how to look into the historical, philosophical, and cultural backgrounds in which it was written. The reason why the Salty Pastor Podcast is so different is because we are trying to get you to think for yourself. The reason is because what you believe is the most important thing about you. Therefore, you should know what you believe and why you believe it. We are here to help you and hope this podcast helps you grow in your faith along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas P. Mm. Welcome, everybody. It's so good to be with you today. Been really excited about uh, the study we've done over the summer. It really has helped kind of dig in. I hope it's helped your faith and help you clarify what you believe. And uh, we're going to wrap up today. And then what we're going to do is we're going to start a brand new series, which will be pretty interesting. More on that later. But uh, it's been really quite a journey to go through all of these parables. I think it took us about... 13, 14 weeks to do it. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And it's been made a huge impact in, and members of the church. I've heard lots of people talking about how they've never seen the parables this way, that it's given them such a deeper understanding of them and mm. what Jesus was really talking about in these processes. Yeah. Um, it's caused them to dive deeper into studying the Bible with this new context and understanding more, yeah, which I is think what you we provided, always want. Yeah. You've provided a lot of context through these parables that'll, and uh, you and pastor Harv and pastor Steve have all provided context that have allowed people to really deepen their understanding of what how they should be reading the bible right yeah and i think that's one of the best things we could have given um our salty pastor listeners and as well as the foothills congregation mm -hmm. over the summer was the ability to further understand the bible on their yeah. own without mm -hmm. having to have someone tell them what they believe or why they believe it so um we're ending on our final parable this week we're we're at the end of our series which i'll be sad to see it go because the parables <laughs> have been so impactful but it is time to move on but what is our final parable pastor well we're going to study a parable in Matthew chapter 25 titled the parable of the talents. Now I intentionally saved these three parables all recorded in Matthew chapter 25 in order to conclude the series. And the reason why is because they tell us all about the ultimate goal and manifestation of the kingdom of God here on earth, right? Where it finally comes it, it, the Lord's second coming and all of its glory. Therefore, what these last three parables do, uh, the parables of the 10 virgin, the parable of the 10 virgins, the parable of the sheep and goats, and then the parable of the talents, which we'll discuss today, uh, is that what they do is they tell us how we are to prepare and what our lives look like if we're actively preparing for the son of man returning. So what they are all about, basically, these three parables, is about our nature. Mm. And if our nature has been transformed and we are truly a person that is a wheat and not a weed, you know, weed or tear parable, but we're truly redeemed and our nature has changed. And then if our nature has been changed, we will reflect these attitudes naturally 
in our life. We don't have to, you know, work or impose them. They just are an outflow, like a wellspring Mm. out of our lives. And that's what's so great about these parables, because what they do is they give us a sense of what that means, what it feels like, what it looks like, what values I begin developed as my nature is being transformed when I become a part of the kingdom of God. So once again, this parable teaches us a difference between uh, a religious nature, because remember these parables were written to Jewish people, mm. right? So they heard them a little bit differently than us. But their, their, their tendency, their penchant was to take a truth of God and then try to turn it into a religious process or ceremony. And because they believed, well, the reason we're under Roman oppression is because we're doing something wrong. There's a glitch mm-hmm. in how we're applying the covenantal law. And if we could just figure out that glitch, then boom, God's going to deliver us. And so I think one of the things that's really important to understand is that what Jesus is addressing and why Matthew put these three parables together at this point was to drive home to Jewish people that there's a difference between re- religion, which is an outward thing, and then a nature change, a spiritual change when your heart is transformed. And when your heart is transformed, these things happen in your life and these attitudes just start flowing out of your life. And that's kind of what it means. So that's what it means to be prepared and wait for the second coming of the Lord. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's get started by reading the parable and then you can give us some insight as we go. I'm going to read it for us. Um, So we're going to start Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. The one who had received the five talents immediately went and did business with them and earned five more talents. In the same way, the one who had received two talents earned two more. But he who received one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the slaves came and settled the accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have earned two more talents. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now enter the joy of your master. Now the one who had received the one talent also came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And I was afraid, so I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you still have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you worthless, lazy slave. Did you know that I reap what I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter seed? There you, you, then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent away. Therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has had 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he who has an abundance But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that is the parable of uh, Jesus in this last chapter of uh, Matthew before. This is the last teaching of Jesus before he was betrayed and crucified. So it's pretty significant stuff. and, And Matthew wanted it put in this place to realize Jesus Christ was going to be crucified. This is the enactment 
of the new kingdom here on earth. Mm. And this is now, we're in this phase with the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds where an enemy came in and sowed weeds alongside the good stuff. And so the servant said, well, we're going to weed the field. And the master said, no, don't do that because you'll upset the good wheat. Mm -hmm. So they'll grow side by side. And then at the time of harvest, we'll gather them all up. We'll burn the weeds and keep the wheat. And then, so, so there's this notion that here at the end, the king is coming back and there will be a, a sifting, you know, between the weeds and the wheat. We saw about that last week in the sheep and the goats. Uh, we saw it in the parable of the 10 virgins, 10 prudent or five prudent and five foolish. And now what we do is we see it personified in these, uh, the lives of these servants. So let's begin with the background in order to understand what's really going on. Number one, that we have to remember that the context is so critical. It's kind of the king here. When this parable appears in the Gospel of Matthew uh, at this section right before his crucifixion, it's critical it, it, because it's not all, it's the last full teaching, but it also reflects the first full teaching in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. Right. And there was these seven mountains, and this to teaching is on the Mount of Olives. So it's considered the sixth mountain. And then the seventh mountain is the mountain of Golgotha and the seventh mountain, the mountain of Golgotha is where Jesus was crucified. Right. So Matthew is following the, this mountain theme throughout, so to speak. Now, all three of these parables in his, are the final teaching to the disciples and they focus on being prepared, uh, for when the kingdom of God comes to earth, it's, it's manifestation, it's fruition in all of its glory. So if you remember, uh, as we talked at the very, very beginning, the parable of the tares said there will be a harvest. Now we're at the point where Matthew's describing the harvest. harvest. So the second thing is not only the context, but the historical understanding of the people uh, who heard this. This is very critical for them. It, was, it wasn't written 100 years ago. It wasn't written 500 years ago. We have to understand how people thought about life 2,000 years ago in this culture. Now, it's not as difficult as you might think. You know, a lot of people, well, how in the world could you ever understand? Well, it's really not that difficult because you go and read what people wrote uh, from all these different sources. You, you can understand the economy. You can understand the basic uh, agrarian lifestyle. You can look at all the ceremonies and feasts and holidays that they celebrated. You can look at their, their process of marriage, what they did with their kids. I mean, you can understand all, pretty well, yeah. you know, by there's a lot of historical uh, data that helps us understand that. And so we get a pretty good idea, I guess, is the way to phrase it of the values that they had in the framework, the matrix through which they would hear this parable. Okay. And so this is a historical context in which it was written. This is it. It gives us insight into the meaning and the depth of the parable that Jesus told us about these three slaves or servants. Yeah. I think the, as we've been going through these parables, we've been getting these basically little drops of knowledge that from you and Pastor Harvey and Pastor Steve about what life was like back then and how they would have perceived these different things, right? Like what, mm -hmm. you know, their focus on agriculture. And that's why a lot of these things have to do with agriculture because everybody right. was familiar with it. You know, what the, the context of their relationship between husband and wives or, or family members at, during betrothals, things of that nature, all of that is helping us better understand these things. And, you know, in this situation, it's a, it's a, 
a boss and a, uh, a slave, basically, right? Mm-hmm. But that could be translated. I've heard, rather than slave, I've heard servant, different words in different translations utilized, right? But yes. understanding that um, brings us back to kind of that parable of the shrewd manager that Pastor Harv also talked about, where there is an accounting being held by the man that was in charge of the mm-hmm. of the thing, and the manager had to basically own up for what he did or didn't do while he was gone. You know, that's mm-hmm. almost always these parables when there is kind of that authority figure that can sometimes represent God. It's always he went away for a time, but he's coming back now and he wants to settle up accounts. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of uh, uh, things that we can really glean from it. You know, the first thing is understand the main characters, okay? First of all, you have a, a master, right? And the it's interesting in the, the whenever we hear the word slave, we think of the chattel slavery, slave right. trade of the 18th century. Right. What, but what people don't understand is, and we've talked about this on the Salty Pastor before, is that slavery in some form or another has existed since the dawn of time. Right. And so everybody is a descendant of a slave. It's just a matter of timing. Right. Know, how far you have to go back. And the term slave actually comes from the term Slavic. And the Slavics were white people and they were enslaved primarily by Muslims in the Ottoman Empire. And they were taken slaves. And even though the chattel slavery was ended in the 1800s, you know, the 19th century, so to speak, in America's, uh, the enslavement of Slavic people occurred all the way up until World War I. Mm. And so late into the the 20th century. So it's really kind of interesting. And today, you know, a lot of people say when it comes to slavery, there are more slaves today than there ever have been in the history of the world just doesn't look like what we think of when we hear that phrase, right? Correct. And so I think it's important to understand your the way you you interpret words, you know, mm. and one of the principles of philosophy, you know, you've got to define your terms. And what one of the best things to do if you want to grow deeply into understanding the scripture and let the Lord speak to you is you read the words and then ask yourself, God, when I read these words, you know, what do I think they mean? What, what perspective am I putting on What perspective on do I have? And then that helps, uh, that invites the Holy Spirit to say, well, oh, maybe I need to learn. Right. You know, so you can go and you can look up words. And in this day and age, that information is a keystroke away. As a matter of fact, it's not even a keystroke away. It's a voice prompt to right. Siri away. <laughs> you just have to talk you into your phone a, and ask. You just set off everybody's phones, Pastor. <laughs> yeah. So it's so that's really interesting to understand. You know, back then, slavery was uh, uh, different. In the Romans practiced slavery, they would take slaves, and that was uh, you, and then you were owned by the master. You had some rights and not other rights. In, in Judaism, it was a lot different. And in Judaism... Every family was a business. Right. Okay. Now, if you were unable to support yourself with your family business, your meaning basically, could you get the land that you had to produce enough food to feed you and your family? Then what you could do is you could sell your labor. And that was called slavery. And Jewish law had all these rules about it. And then after a certain period of time, you had to be set free no matter what. It would almost be, I think the phrase that might... Uh, strike a chord with people that they've heard more regularly would be like an indentured servant, right? Like you are, mm-hmm. you have, you have agreed to basically be a servant 
for a set amount of time. And then the Jewish customs at certain times would set you free based on various customs that they had, right, as well. Yeah, and the difference between, you know, being in your own business is that you determine your schedule, you determine your labor, you determine your priorities. Right. When you're an indentured servant, the master determines... All of that. All of that. And I'm not so sure that that's much different than today. Right. You know, (laughs) I mean... If you you have a job, they tell you when you have to clock in and they tell you what you do when you're there and what they expect of you. And then, and what you're doing is you're making a voluntary trade for your labor. Right. And that brings you value. And in this particular case, what these people would do is these, these servants, you could call them slaves. Now on occasion, what they would do is that some people would say, well, I don't want to go out there and do it on my own. I'd rather do this. And so they would pierce their ear. And when you pierced your ear, then that meant that I work for this person. I'm a servant, a slave of this person in perpetuity. Right. So you have a master and we have servants or slaves. We don't know what these guys are like um, or what their status is because Jesus doesn't tell us. All he says is they're servants or slaves under the Jewish system of servanthood or indentured servanthood. And then what happened is this master, okay, a king or owner or whatever, he gives various gifts to his servants, right? He gives a bag, five bag, a ten, uh, excuse me, a bag of talents, five to one, two to one, and then one to the third. And it's interesting today, we've transliterated the word, transliterated the word talent to mean a ability that skill you set. might have, a right. skill set, right? So, oh, well, you have this talent, you know, you can do this, you can sing, you can dance, you can organize, you can... Um, create, you can administrate, you can speak or you, you right. know, whatever. There's a whole list. You can code, you can under, you know, you have a talent that, and so we quantify it that way. But in this culture, a talent was a weight of money and it was a pretty serious weight of money. I think it was, if I remember off the top of my head, we'll have to confirm this is it was a hundred denarii. Okay. And so that was basically two and a half to three months. Well, three and a half months to four months of total pay, right? Okay. So it, it could have been even more. So it's a weight of, of now, of course, that weight of the talent would change based on whether it was silver or bronze or gold, right? Okay. So uh, the, I, in a quick Google. Oh, what did Google say? Uh, some calculate the talent in the parables to be equivalent to almost 20 years worth of wages for a common worker. Well, there you go. So it's a boatload of money. Right. So it's much higher so could, than off the top of my head. Some huh? conservatively value it at between $1,000 to $30,000 today yeah. would be basically what he was handing out per talent. Yeah, so he gives he gives a bag. What's interesting is, is that all three of the servants basically gave effort, okay? I think this is a really significant point to understand is that in Judaism, they have a very specific approach to money and how you handle money. Okay. And today we call it the, there's some Hebrew words around it that I can't pronounce, but today we call it the five jar method. Okay. Or okay. It, it was called Jara at one time, but basically the way it worked is if you had $10, let's say you had $10 come to you. You were to take $5 and live off of that. You were to take $1 and give it to charity, okay, to the synagogue or someplace else like that. Then you were to take $1 and you were to save it. Okay. And this is a hidden savings, basically. You, you, you put it 
over there in the little jar in the mattress or whatever and kind of forget about it. Okay. okay? And then the other $3, you're supposed to invest. Okay. Okay. So the whole point of it is you're, you're supposed to take 30% of your income and invest it every single year. Okay. Now, if you live that way, I guarantee you by the time you're middle age, you'll be wealthy. Right. It's an, it's an absolute guarantee. It's not rocket science. All it requires is discipline. And the, the Jewish people, particularly in the first century, very disciplined. Right. And this is why they hated paying taxes to the Romans so much. Because it messes up their <laughs> Yeah, process. because it messes up the, the, the Jara method. And so what... So the reason it's important to understand this is because they receive these lavish gifts, right? So even the guy who gets one bag, you know, of talents, he's like, this is a life's worth of wages, okay? And so he buries it in the backyard. The second guy takes two, and he immediately does what? He practices, I'm going to invest it because it's it's extra on top of what I've got. And then the guy with five does the same thing. So all three of them took effort or made effort. But the first two made one kind of effort and the third one made a different kind of effort and they are based, uh, their judgment or assessment from the king or master, whoever, is based upon that effort, right? So basic rundown, let me encapsulate it in case you got a little confused as I was meandering through this. (laughs) The owner is very well off. He gives various amounts to his servants or employees. They're pretty lavish and large. They're given freely without strings. He doesn't say what you're supposed to do with it, does he? Well, and it's also interesting too, because he doesn't mention this, but he doesn't also say you need to give these back to me after a time, right? Like, yeah, there's, that's also the other interesting thing. He's like, he gives it to him, but then he comes back. He's like, Hey, where's my money on? It's like, uh, well, I did these things with it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But what's really interesting is that, uh, he gives it to him, doesn't tell him what, and he leaves. Right. And so they can't get any advice from him. Right. Right. They're on their own. He's not going to tell no him what to do. Back then. There's yeah. no, there's no phones at all. So yeah, it's like, he no, just, he, it's gone. Yeah. And he's like, I'm giving you this and then walks off and they're like, they have to decide okay. what they're going to do with it. Right? Exactly. They have to decide what they're going to do with it. And then after a very long time, right? That's what's interesting in the parable. Jesus says in verse 19, after a long time, the master comes back and he settles accounts with them. So it's given with no strings attached, no expectations, and no instructions on what to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. And he leaves. But then he comes back, and he get, asks them to give an account. And so all three were judged on the basis of what they did, and what they did was an outflow of their nature. Yeah, I think that's what I've been getting the most of out of the last couple of parables you've talked about is that the parables are or change, like my understanding of the parables have changed things from me going, well, what should I be doing? Like, what are the rules? Like those things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's never what Jesus instructed us to. We talk about that in Galatians, different um, letters, but it's like, instead it's a reflection of what I do and what I choose to do is a reflection of my nature, not, right. not rule following. You know, we talked about the sheeps and the goats. It wasn't a, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do this. It's yeah. a, if you would have just told me the rule, yeah. I would have followed it. I and did Jesus it because, is like, that's not the point. Yeah, I did it because that's my nature. I, I yes. used the 
gifts that I was given and the the situation I was in and I did what I thought was best based on my nature. Mm-hmm. And our nature could be transformed by Jesus or we could choose to continue living the way the world wants us to live. Yeah, the old nature. Right. Yeah. So talk to me really quick as we're wrapping up. Um, we'll go really deep into this on Thursday, I assume, but yeah. give me some uh, brief applications of how this parable should be applied to uh, our lives today. Well, first of all, everyone gives an account for their life, right? Mm. Um, if we want to believe that our lives are not accountable, then what we're actually believing is that our lives don't matter. Mm. And that's an important thing. And this is why I think that postmodern deconstructionism is so bad because people go around saying to themselves, well, I don't want to believe this. I don't want to believe this. I don't want to believe this. But what you don't realize is that for everything you don't want to believe, you by default are believing the opposite right. or something else. So if you're, you don't want to give an account for your decisions, which, you know, many five-year-olds don't. Right. <laughs> right. But then you realize my life has no meaning or value mm. to it because it just doesn't matter what I do. Right. If there's no accounting, it doesn't matter. Number two is that what are we held accountable for? Well, in essence, it's our nature. And so all three servants were given a gift. The gift was different for all three servants. Two of the servants acted from a nature um, be, that was different than the third. Mm. And here's what's really interesting is the third servant says in verse 19, uh, he specifically says, um, I was afraid, right? So I did this. I went away and I buried it. And so what's really interesting is the first two servants acted out of what? Possibility. The third servant acted out of fear. And that is the whole point of this parable. Um, If you act out of fear, then your nature is locked in the old, right? If you're acting and living out of possibility then you are reflecting a transformed or redeemed nature. Religion is, I have to know the rules and follow them so I don't get in trouble, which is what? Fear. Fear, because you're fearing punishment, okay? I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Um, But what Jesus is saying is that when your nature changes, you live in this other place. Jesus didn't think in terms of religious compliance gets you to heaven. You see this all throughout the gospel accounts. Jesus is constantly saying, uh, you're known by your fruit. Um, it isn't what goes into the man that defiles him, you know, following the right dietary laws. He says, but it's what comes out of a man that defiles. It's what's in his heart. He says the outside of the cup is clean, but the inside is filthy. Right. Right. So he's saying these statements about your nature all the time. Okay. And so one of the things that's so important about the salty pastor is that I don't want to tell you what to do because our tendency is to focus on the doing. And you go, if I do this, then I'm okay. But Jesus is not interested in compliance. He's interested in a transformed heart, a renewed heart, which is a change in your nature. That's what his focus is. That's what salvation is. And when your nature is changed, it bears this type of fruit in your life. So the whole point of the sheep and the goats, the virgins, the, you know, servants is that it's, it's not a parable for me to look at Jesse's life and say, I'm going to judge how he's doing. Right. 
That's not the point of these parables at all, because they were told privately to the disciples. Love the way Pastor Harv says it. You know, you've got porch stuff, and then you got in the house stuff. In the house stuff. This is an in the house thing. What it is is he's giving us this beautiful gem for me, just me and myself, to look at how I'm living and what I value. I, I can evaluate myself based on these outcomes. You see, that's what's so beautiful about it. It's not designed for me to judge you. It's not designed for you to judge me. It's a tool that says, wow, I can look at the fruit of a changed nature in this way. This is what I value. These are my attitudes. So it's all about your nature. And this particular parable focuses on your nature, when it's transformed, allows you to live in possibility instead of fear. So how do I get from fear into possibility? How do I get out of that old nature and into the new nature so that Christ is renewing me and changing me and transforming me? Well, the simple answer is love. Mm. It's all about love. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. So the perfect love of the Father and my time with Jesus, that perfect love, is driving out the fear that drives me and, and renewing my, I'm being renewed in the attitude of my mind. I'm being renewed in my heart. I'm taking off the old, putting on the new. And that fear is being driven out through the perfect love of God. This is why it's important to worship. This is why it's important to participate in church, to serve and do ministry, because this is the way I experience and express God's perfect love in my life. Now, it says, if you fear, then you have not been perfected in love. Mm. So redeemed people are the most courageous people that you will ever meet. The third servant was a fearful person because he was a religious person. He was a he goes, I was afraid of what you would do if I lost it. Right. And what's so fascinating is that the master then says, well, I'll judge you based on your own fear. Mm. I'll judge you based on your own fear. You know, what's really interesting is that when it comes to the t concept of judgment, Jesus said this, he goes, judge not lest you be judged for by the same standard that you judge, you will be judged. Mm. So let's personalize that. So if you live in fear, how do you judge yourself? By your fear. By your fear. So then you are judged by your fear. Right. <laughs> but the first two servants didn't live in fear. What did they live in? Possibility. Possibility. They went out and they put their effort into what could happen. Right. And because they did that, what happened is they showed, I trust, I, and they are invited into the blessing and goodwill of the Father. So it all comes down to this. Is your nature redeemed or not? Well, if you've come to Christ in faith, you know that you have been given a new nature and that it's been redeemed by the blood of Christ. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Now I am alive to Christ. I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. What the first two did is they immediately took that new nature and put it to work. And this is a very important phrase, put it to work. They took, they said, look, I have been given these gifts to invest. Mm. And so this is one of the most important things. And I talked about it last week in my message is that if you're a, do I have to 
type of person regards to the faith and you're not a authentic Christian, what you are is a religious person, right? A religious Christian. If you are a, when can I kind of follower, then you are a redeemed follower. That may sound harsh to say, but it's the truth, right? Well, thank you so much, pastor, for all this insight. I'm excited to um, wrap up this series, even though I'll be sad to see it go. I'm, I'm excited to hear about all the new things that we have coming down the pipe and new things that you've um, been led to talk about uh, over your sabbatical and as we move into fall. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. Make sure you um, are looking into what's coming up here at Foothills if that's if you're in the Boise area. And if you're not, then still make sure you're seeing what's going on here because we have a lot of really cool online resources that we're going to be pumping out here soon on the Salty Pastor and on foothills.org. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.